Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie, how are you this morning? You know, I think most mornings I'm actually just thankful, like... Just even before you ask me, like what I'm thankful for, I think I'm just normally just thankful in the mornings. You're just a you're just a, a, a positive person every morning. <laughs> See, this is why you are here on Faith FM Radio because you are positively different. Yes, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> what are you particularly thankful for this morning? Oh, look, to be honest, particularly this morning. My bed is so comfy and warm and it's just like when I wake up, you know how sometimes the mornings you're like, oh, that's a bit cold getting out, but but I'm still warm and it was like, it's just, it's the perfect mix of warm but not so warm that getting out feels hard. Like it's not such a big difference. Yeah, and I was literally just praying about this morning, man, Jesus, I know that some people don't have this and it doesn't help them for me to not be thankful. So I just thank you that I have this at the moment and maybe there are times I won't. But anyway, I was very thankful for my bed this morning. Well, there have been times in the past when you haven't. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. You've been homeless before. It's more by choice, though, so it's not quite the same. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. How are you feeling this morning? Oh, just amazing. Yeah? Absolutely amazing. So I've been going to this, um, to the last couple of days, had a series of uh, lectures that I've been going to on soteriology. What is that? The Doctrine of Salvation. Oh. Super interesting. That is actually really interesting. No, no, no. It was really, really interesting and very good. Can you tell me one thing that you learned? Like a snippet that like has stood out? Uh, ooh. Um, In five seconds? <laughs> a new term. Pre- uh, I can't pronounce it. Prevenient grace. Okay. Yeah, I think I mispronounced that. Oh, interesting. But that's okay. Mm. It's grace that God extends to you. Mm. This is like the, the, the long and the short of it. It gives you free will. It's, it's like God's, God is love. But I came to a new conclusion as a result of going to these meetings. Yes. So in the Reformation of the 16th century, you had a whole bunch of solas, sola scriptura, sola del gloria. So sola scriptura, the, the Bible alone, uh-huh. sola del gloria, glory to God alone. Uh-huh. There are five solas of the Reformation. Oh. And I've added a sixth. Yeah. Sola love. I don't know what love is in Latin. But love alone. Yeah, love alone. Ooh. Yes. Oh, I like it. Trumps the others. There you go. Yeah. It's kind of incorporated in Solar Del Gloria, but I like it on its own. Uh-huh. It's number six. <laughs> I've made it number six. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so moving on with our show, let's have some positively different news. Yes, let's do that. So, I don't know if you've noticed. I feel like it's been hard not to, but... The kind of global world has been getting more into like sustainable, like renewable things, like environmental focus, which is not a bad thing. But so there is a highway in California. It's the first mile only, um, but the whole thing has been made out of recyclable, recycled plastic water bottles. Okay. Yeah. So a sustainable landscaping company called Technosoil partnered with the state transit officials to turn more than 150,000 single-use plastic bottles into an eco-friendly road formula. I don't know how they did that. Just a little side note. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the scientific before, process. Before I ask, before I ask, like, like, don't ask me this question. I will not know I the answer. <laughs> I just know that they did it. Okay. And according to them, it's actually two to three times more durable than traditional asphalt paper. That was going to be the question I was going to ask. Mm, that's what they reckon. How long before it gets potholes? 
Okay, look, they didn't specifically say that. Well, they said two to three times more durable. Two to three so times more durable. So less. Two, two to three times longer than what it would normally take to yeah. get potholes. Yeah. Kind of makes sense because plastic is a very flexible mm. substance. Yep. And the problem with, you know, we, we, we build roads out of asphalt, which is because it's flexible. Yeah. Hmm, this is interesting. Yeah. Either was, that or we build roads out of concrete and we have to put massive foundations down. Mm. You know, when you look at them building a freeway, that concrete is really thick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you've either got to be flexible so that it can move under the weight of the vehicles going over the top or it's got to be Very a full-blown thick. foundation that's never going to move. You've got to be somewhere in between. You, yeah. you can't be anywhere in between those two. Yeah. <laughs> And that's what they – so with what they normally do is they have to tear up, you know, like the top three to six inches or whatever, mix that with bitumen, but then that's not enough for the whole road. That's just like kind of the base layer. And so for this highway area at least, they normally have to bring in around 42 truckloads more of their asphalt bitumen um, to get imported. So by replacing that with these bottles, as you said, it's more flexible um, because they – I guess make it a liquid form. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to import anything at all. They can just put that down. Okay, so here's a here's a question. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if I know the answer, no. but yep. <laughs> Are they using the liquid plastic from the plastic bottles? Are they using that to stick stones together like you do with asphalt? Mm, or just the plastic itself? Or is it just the plastic itself that forms a kind of sticky road surface that you can drive on? And here's, a, here's another interesting question. Maybe I shouldn't ask this question. Like if it melts? No, what's it like for doing burnouts on? <laughs> Well, I know some people who I know, I, I, I know some people who want to know the answer to this question. I don't need to know the answer for this question, but I know some people who do <laughs> who need to know, to know the answer to this question. <laughs> look, look, I can't tell you that, but I mean, someone, someone. Okay, see, if we build a racetrack out of this, mm-hmm. like the Nurburgring, if we redo the Nurburgring with this new product, are we going to be able to get faster speeds? Is it more? Ooh. Is it more? Uh, does, does it give more traction? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, all these questions. I, See, these are questions I don't think to even look at. <laughs> I'm, I'm super interested right now. Oh, now I am. You have my now attention. Now that you said this, I'm interested. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. Okay. So we'll have to find do out. We, do we? How does this go on a uh, on a drag strip? You know, will this give extra heat into the tires, which gives extra traction, which means that you can go faster, or is there more friction? Which causes you to go slower. I don't know. It is on a highway, so there's going to be an expectation that you are going fast to some yes. degree. Is he going to use more fuel or yes, less fuel? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> is he going to throw more heat into the atmosphere? Because roads throw so much heat into the atmosphere. Mm. Mm. This is a good question. Ah, I'm One I don't curious. have the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you had many, many questions. I, I wish to. we right now. I wish we had the inventor here, and we could just bombard them with but questions. Like, look, we need to know. <laughs> I think that uh, I think that if the inventor was here, they'd be giving it a very positive spin. Whatever question. Well, we that's ask true. Yeah, there would always be the positive coming out. And look for them. The, one of the things that they think is the positive is that it's a hundred percent made of plastic. Oh, yeah. Water bottles. And so Absolutely. they're just going, you know, we're not having the landfill. We're, you know, making use of something, making something practical that is used anyway. Like they haven't had to come up with some different invention. They're not using fossil fuels because asphalt is a yeah. fossil fuel. Yeah. So that's, fossil product, whatever. Yeah. Uh, something like that. <laughs> it comes out of the ground. It's that greasy black stuff. Yeah. Anyway, and then the next story is also to do with this eco-friendly situation. So a town in Finland is encouraging citizens to go green by rewarding eco-friendly residents 
with uh, behavior, sorry, with various re- rewards. So you get free public transport tickets, entry to swimming areas, cakes. So how this works. Whereabouts is this place? So it's down in Finland. Let me move there. Let me move. I, have, <laughs> I, I have friends in Finland. Oh, hey, there we go. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think uh, once COVID is over, let's all go to There's Finland. It's a little, little trip. But free, what if we turn this one down? Free cake for um, being environmentally friendly. Yeah, but that's the thing you have to be. So how it works is an app has been developed that tracks the local residents and whether they get around by car, by public transport or by foot. Ooh. <laughs> See, I'm really good at recycling. Mm-hmm. I'm great at recycling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually quite passionate about recycling. I love recycling, particularly when I get cash for it. Uh, but <laughs> Incentives, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm not so good at um, walking everywhere. Look, I'm great at walking everywhere when I'm in a place where it's accessible. That's right. Like if I were to walk here every morning, I'd just leave last night, you know. That's right. You'd you'd move in. You would move into the studio. You would sleep here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, yeah, and so basically the way it works is residents who have volunteered their information into the city cap, which is what what it's called, they get a carbon quota for the week. Um, And if they have allowance – Leftover. It's basically receiving virtual euros to spend on bus tickets, bike lights, coffees, or cakes at local bakeries. Um, the city has like 120,000 residents. Only 2,000 so far have got onto this. But I was like, man. Okay, so if you get a carbon quota, mm-hmm. then that carbon quota should be different for everybody. There should be enough there for you to be able to come to and from work. But. Not enough for you to drive from, say, your residence to your classes. Mm. So if you walk to your classes every day, which is what a couple of k's. Yeah. Maybe maybe you'd be getting some. Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, I don't know the logistics of that. Maybe you but get it a makes fr- sense. A free, a free chocolate bicky out of that. Oh yeah. Once I a just week. look. So one of my classes actually, we've just been talking about rewards. Like, should you re- use rewards? Like, is it good? Is it bad? Part of me is like, yeah, but. Humans really like incentives. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how far are you from your classes? Where do you, how far do you live? Oh, not far. Maybe like mm, 12, 15 minutes walk. Do you drive? Um, on the days where I have to go because I'm going to be late. When okay. I've come straight when from you're running Otherwise, late. I walk in. Yeah, yeah. That's the go. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so uh, joining us on the phone this morning for uh, our regular um, interview is David Haupt. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, and good morning to your listeners. Now, David, you were off air, and we were playing some pre-recorded material for a number of weeks due to surgery that you had, and you actually ended up being off air for a number of more weeks than what we were originally planning for. That came about as a result of a very, very painful procedure, And what I'd like to do today is something a little bit different. I'd like to hear your story. We have listeners who deal with physical pain on a daily basis, and I'm wondering whether we can learn some lessons from your story, from your testimony, and what has happened in your life. And so I'm just wondering whether you can take us uh, through the journey of this particular illness and, um, yeah, just where did it where did it all start and what happened? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, Lyle, uh, a few months ago, I 
became aware of a pain under my tongue. And when I looked under my tongue, I could see things that should not have been there. Now, four years before, uh, exactly the same happened. I then had surgery. Um, I think the surgeon then was pretty uh, gentle. Uh, they had cut everything off on my way from the hospital home. All the stitches uh, pulled out. And uh, I boarded a plane the following day to go to Tonga to train ministers there and spoke for a whole week with a gaping wound under my tongue. But this time around, uh, they worked a little bit more rougher with me and was far more um, intentional in how they had cut and um, so the surgery and, and also injected chemicals that, um, as the doctor, the specialist said to my wife uh, when she was concerned about my high level of pain, that he said to her that uh, he will actually get worse before it gets better. So is this a kind of uh, cancer? Uh, mine is luckily uh, precancerous, but um, I've been warned that it will return. And the chances that it can uh, develop into cancer, uh, there is a, a chance of that happening. Uh, I've, I've never smoked. It normally happens to people uh, that smoke. I've, I've never uh, smoked in my life. So they don't re really know uh, the reason for this. Uh, and you know why it happened, but uh, yeah, it happens. Now, um, you mentioned that the first time around the doctor was kind of gentle, and I guess you know you be gentle where you can. But the second time around, they're like, okay, if this has come back a second time, we have to um, we have to go really hard on this, which means that they have been more severe. Now, you talk about they've they've, they've done this operation, and I can't imagine how uncomfortable that would be on your tongue. They've cut a great chunk out of it. And for our listeners, I actually got a uh, – David sent me through a photo of what they did uh, last night. Yeah, not the kind of photo that you'd want to look at during your uh, – if you were having breakfast or something like that. It was um, – it's definitely very, very severe, the operation that you've been through. Now, that's going to affect your ability to eat, to talk, and also um, I'm wondering whether you could describe for us the pain that you suffered as a result of this. Uh, before I describe that, um, they not only had cut uh, the, the section out, they then uh, took a laser and burnt over that area and then injected chemicals that is used in line with oncology that cuts the blood flow to those cells. So the cells actually over the next week or two started to die off which was excruciating painful. And um, I, I, I was pre-warned that I would not be able to eat, that we would have to uh, make soups for me to drink. Uh, I, I still, four weeks after the operation, still can't suck on a straw. But the moment, remember that uh, all your nerve endings either have been uh, opened up by cutting uh, or it's, it's left open there. It is an open wound. And um, the moment that food touches it, the, the pain just shoots through. 
not just your tongue, but through your entire head. Now, four, four and a half weeks late, uh, later today, um, doctors are talking about the potential of uh, nerve uh, pains uh, because the pain just shoots into my jaw, uh, under my stem of my tongue, and uh, into my ear. And there was a time that my entire head felt like just a... I, I, a bowl, a, a ball of painful, aching nerve. Um, I was on pretty strong uh, pain medication, and it just didn't do a thing. Um, and, and another doctor eventually prescribed a topical uh, anesthetic. So before a meal, for instance, I would go and spray uh, the anti, the the the. the uh, the medication and it will completely numb my entire tongue but the first mouthful of food that I would take in um, the pain would just shoot into my head, into my ear, my jaw and uh, there were times that I said to my wife, I think it would be less painful if I would just sit down and just pull out all my teeth uh, in my jaw, uh, that actually would give a relief to the nerve pain that I was experiencing at, at that point now, you talked about other really heavy pain medication that you're having. Um, I'm imagining that, you know, a, a doctor's job is to just keep upping the dose until the problem is solved. What level of medication did they take you to? Well, I was on uh, opiate medication, uh, but I very quickly, uh, because I worked in the uh, anti-drug field for many years in Sydney, and I know how easily addictive that become so within five days I tried to cut that down uh, which meant that I uh, had to take your normal over-counter medication to try and deal with a pain uh, which was extremely difficult to do um, but uh, I, I then resorted to some uh, other means I would for instance uh, ask my wife to just give me a, a hot water bottle and I would put my face on that hot water bottle and just lie in my bed for a while and that to some degree would relieve some of that nerve pain. Other times, uh, your, your whole uh, sympathetic, uh, you know, emotion centers around that area of pain. And I would sometimes just get into a, a hot bath and just lie there with my face in the hot water to try and get some relief. David, this is a, a really horrific story that you're sharing with us, but you generally talk to us about emotional health. Um, for yourself personally, when you were diagnosed and you knew you had to go in for treatment, uh, that's going to bring a level of anxiety. Uh, what were yeah. the thoughts that were going through your head and, and what did you do to deal with your own anxiety? I mean, you're often you're often helping others with their anxiety. What did you do? It doesn't make a difference being the uh, being the counsellor when you then end up having to deal with these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, we didn't know whether it was precancerous or whether it had already uh, formed cancer because it's a returning. Uh, disease that's come back, the, the chances become so much greater that it could be malignant. And therefore, your mind immediately goes into that direction. And um, I must confess that there were moments of, uh, of fear. 
there were moments of realizing in my work, your work, Lyle, we use our tongues to do our work. Um, what happens if um, they have to remove your tongue? Uh, how, how do you continue to maintain, you know, doing your work? Uh, and the fear immediately arose, where will it end? Is this the beginning of something worse? Uh, but in working with people uh, and in my training, I know that by giving your brain uh, full access to just run wild, on, on the negative will actually control that and will control your emotion. So I was very deliberate. I, um, after being able to work up some courage, I just openly spoke to my wife about the fears that are in my mind. And then we went together on our knees and we just surrendered everything to God. Um, ultimately, he's in control. He's in control of my future, my life. And if it has to go that road, then it has to be. But then I would know that I'm not alone. But I intentionally disconnect from actively thinking about it. And I became aware a few times of those thoughts returning. And uh, then I just deliberately made a choice. No, I'm going to spiritually connect with God and surrender my, my uh, future to him. And then got busy with other stuff. Mm. Now, I imagine that's something that, you know, I can I can see a lot of people being able to do that. When the pain comes after the surgery, so let's go after the surgery now, you can't yep. physically disconnect from the pain, and that's going to wear your emotions down. How do you, and, and, and you know, I, I know that there are people in our world who deal with, who live with pain day in, day out. Mm. Um, you're dealing with that from a physical level, that's going to have an emotional impact on you. How do you deal with that? Lyle, I also suffered, suffer with a incurable disease that I will live with for the rest of my life, um, which causes physical pain. So pain is something that I've been living with for quite a number of years, uh, and I've learned to try and maintain it. But uh, what happens with the intensity? I, I must confess, there were times that I just went into my uh, bedroom and I just wept. There are times that my wife walked in and I was weeping because I didn't have a, an ability to, to control the heightened level of, of pain. And um, we, a number of times, had to, to phone the specialist with COVID-19. My operation was done in Queensland, so I couldn't uh, access again my specialist. So by phone, and tried to manage it, tried to control it, and it was very difficult. And there, there was times that despair wanted to kick in. But that is the time that I am very intentional to try and deliberate focus and disconnect. Two weeks into this, the pain was at its highest level. I still was unable to speak. And um, so I started to communicate with people, trying to encourage people. Uh, throughout, I, I, I write a blog every week uh, to a team of medical doctors and Christian doctors, and I didn't uh, miss any one of them. Um, it takes a lot of research to put a block together in a very short, succinct, trying to bring out some spiritual thoughts. And uh, so I would force myself to uh, 
to disconnect and to focus on other things. Uh, my mind was fairly clouded at times, and I would go for a walk. And uh, that helped me to slowly start to change. And uh, three weeks into this, um, I started to talk and help people to deal with their problems. Mm. Uh, and, and I have found that when we look away from our own plight and we look at the, the needs of other people, that that to some level uh, give you some you know, ability to, uh, to focus. Uh, three weeks in, into this, I, I was speaking to people and for short periods of time speaking in front of an audience. And that was one of the things that I guess kind of shocked me a little bit when you called up and said, "Yeah, I'm ready to do radio tomorrow. I'm struggling a bit here." And I could hear I could hear the agony coming through in your voice. I'm like, "No, David, let me give you another week to recover because this just uh um but this was actually a part of your healing process and part of your healing process is coming here on, you know, Faith FM and doing the seminars and the programs that you do is uh is how you are actually working through the um dealing with the emotional aspects of physical pain. The the specialist had said to me, just phone me up every week and I will issue you with a sick certificate. I I basically, two weeks was all that I was uh, off from my actual work. Um, I, I did limit the time that I spoke, but there's a principle that I live by, uh, uh, Lyle, which I also share with, uh, would like to share with your audience, and I might have shared it in the past as well. A principle out of scripture, and that is that out of every disappointment, there's always an appointment. Um, the level of pain that I have lived with my life and, uh, you know, been through just recently uh, helps me to give me an understanding where other people are at in their life. And um, that gives me empathy. Uh, I I never look at heartache and pain and suffering as something that is intended to to destroy us. But it, for a Christian, if we trust God, it actually becomes an opportunity to be more serviceable uh, to help humanity and people around us. David, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning and sharing uh, a little bit of your journey over the last few weeks. So many other questions we could talk about, but unfortunately we are out of time. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're just going to move on um, to... (laughs) Question of the Day. And a question of the day today is part two of yesterday. Who is Michael the Archangel? Yesterday we looked at the concept that the word angel means messenger. It doesn't mean more than that. It doesn't mean less than that. It does not in and of itself mean a, uh, a heavenly messenger. It only means a heavenly messenger by context. So when heavenly, when, when uh, context demands that it is, it is a heavenly messenger, then we apply it to uh, what we typically think of as being an angel. But in the Bible, you find the word angel used quite broadly. Uh, the word angel is used to describe King David. It is used to describe the Apostle Paul, for instance, because they were both messengers. Mm. It's also used throughout the Bible. Uh, there are, I don't know, probably 100 verses in the Bible. I don't know how many to refer to Jesus Christ, who is God and who was never a created being and who was never a heavenly angel in the uh, concept that we think of a created being as a heavenly angel. Uh, God is the sovereign ruler, creator of the universe. It is the word angel is used to refer to the I am, mm. the self existent one. 
And so when you refer to God as being an angel, you're not referring to God as being a created being. You're just referring to God as being a messenger. And of course, God is a messenger. Then we need to look at the word archangel. Now, in Christian tradition, you're going to find that there are a number of archangels. And we were having a bit of an off-air discussion about Uriel and Raphael and Gabriel and Michael as being a number of different archangels. However, that is not in the Bible. Mm. And it's actually an impossibility if you understand what the word ark means. The word ark, you kind of sometimes come across the word ark in a novel kind of context. And so you might talk read about somebody who is, you know, so-and-so's ark enemy. Mm. In that context, that person is their greatest enemy. So it simply means greatest. So you can only, when you talk about greatest, you can't have multiple greatest. <laughs> greatest is actually singular. There is going to always going to be somebody who is the greatest at something. You can't have two that are equally uh, the greatest. Greatest means, you know, and so we then simply ask ourselves the question, okay, of all of the messengers who have come to this earth, who is the greatest? That should answer your question right there as to the identity of Michael. He is the greatest messenger who has ever come to our earth. However, we find a couple of other significant things that the Bible says. If we go over to, uh, let me see here, let's go to 1 Thessalonians. First uh, Thessalonians, I'll run through these verses uh, fairly quickly if I can. Chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Notice that the Lord has the shout, mm -hmm. the Lord has the voice of the archangel, and the Lord has the trumpet of God. Mm. That's Jesus Christ. And if he has the voice of the archangel, he is the archangel. And it is that voice in verse 17, which calls, or in verse 16 there, which calls the dead to life. So the voice of the archangel called the dead to life. Well, if we go back to the Gospel of John and we go to chapter 5, verse 28, the Bible says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and shall come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Notice here the Bible says the hour is coming in the which all that hear his voice. That's Jesus', Jesus. voice. And the Bible says that that is the archangel's voice. If you go to the story of Joshua, you find the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua. Joshua took off his feet, took his shoes off his feet because he was standing on holy ground and uh, because he was in the presence of Jesus Christ as the captain of the Lord's host or the Lord's army. If you go to Revelation chapter 12, you find that the captain of the Lord's army is Jesus Christ. Michael the archangel is Jesus Christ. Uh, Michael, sorry, I'm sorry, in Revelation 12, Michael is the captain of God's army. That's mm. Jesus Christ. Can be nobody else. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.